This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This is Aaron from the show. First of all, thank you for listening. Once you finish listening to this episode, do us a solid. Go ahead and give us a rating and write a review of the show. This lets us know that we're doing a good job and helps other people find us. And speaking of other people, if you know someone who might enjoy the show, we would love it if you told them about it. We can be found at gttgp.com. There's tons of stuff on there. You can learn more about us. There's an episode guide. And of course, you can find our social media pages where we love geeking out with our listeners. Now, let's get to the good part. I'm Ryan. I'm John. And welcome to the very first episode of Get to the Good Part, a podcast where we obsess, laugh, and argue about the things we love. And to kick off the podcast, that thing will be Ernest Klein's 2011 novel, Ready Player One. Our first episode uh, will focus on chapter zero, which is the prologue to the book. After that, there are 39 chapters, and we are going to be exploring a chapter every week for the next, including this one, 40 weeks. For anybody, for anybody out there who's listening to this podcast, if you've read this book, you're probably here for the same reason that I wanted to start this podcast, which is when you finish reading it, you want it more. We're really excited. We know that there will be a movie in 2018 directed by Steven Spielberg coming out about the book. Um, I'm really excited to see that. We're going to talk about that a little bit as we go along with the podcast. Uh, any news that we get about the movie um, as, as we record these episodes, obviously we'll discuss a little bit. Anything that's relevant to the chapter that we already know, um, we'll bring that up too. Without anything further, this is the first episode of Get to the Good Part. So for those of you who've read the book, uh, bear with us, we're going to give a brief rundown of chapter zero begins by setting the scene for us on earth in the 2040s it's a dystopian future pretty depressing uh, we're welcomed to a world of war violence and an economy on the decline it's basically the beginning of the end of an environmental disaster brought on by climate change uh, in this world of fear and loathing the population has sought respite in a simulated reality created by none other than the aforementioned halliday the simulation called the Oasis is the means by which the world conducts nearly all social and economic transactions. Our narrator is interrupted from the simulation to learn the sad news that James Halliday has passed away at the age of 67. He had no heirs, and as far as anyone knows, no friends. He's been a recluse, and most people had thought he'd gone insane. Along with the announcement of his demise, viewers are treated to Halliday's video will, which comes to be known as Anorak's Invitation. In the video, which is rife with themes from 80s pop culture, Halliday announces to the world that his massive fortune will be left not to an heir, but to the first person to find an Easter egg hidden in the oasis. The world goes nuts and becomes obsessed with finding the egg, but for five years, no progress is made. And so begins Ready Player One. And now, John, 
you're not you you haven't read this before. This will be your first time reading the book. What did you think so far? Uh, I've read chapter zero. I'm intrigued enough to do the podcast. <laughs> uh, it's hard to it's it's really hard, hard to pull it. It's I, I mean like. I'm not saying that this is a bad chapter. It's not a bad chapter at all. It's hard to pull any intrigue out of it because you really – it does lay down the groundwork for the book. You know, right. I mean, it, it fills in it's, – it's a gap filler basically. Uh, you need this in there to kind of explain what happens because it's, it's – you know, as, as prologues go, it's explaining – you know, one of the most intricate and important plot points in the entire book, which yeah, I've kind of I I mean I I read it as such. I'll say that uh, I I I read it as every detail means something in the first chapter. So I'll, I'll we'll find out as we move on to the next chapter. But we don't know the narrator's name yet. Yeah, the the details in this chapter, or. This this chapter itself uh, really kind of lays the groundwork for the entire book. So it opens up uh, first with with an explanation of the geopolitical situation on Earth in the 2040s, which is uh, the time and place that the the book is set. Um, all told by the narrator, who, as John already mentioned, we don't even get really introduced to until you know. Spoiler alert, the next chapter. I guess it's only a spoiler for you, John. You shouldn't have said that. Let's face it. If you haven't read this book, you're probably not listening to this podcast. But if you are, uh, if you are listening to this podcast, you haven't read the book, uh, we'll we'll break it down for you as we go. Um, You know, be be advised that if you haven't read this book and you don't want spoilers... um, Maybe just go the, ahead the, and start reading now. <laughs> right, yeah. And you can follow along with us every week because I'm not going to provide spoilers from the next chapter. We're going to save those because, like we said, John's going to be reading a chapter every week, so right. I don't want to spoil it for him. Yeah, I don't want to know what happens next until I read it. But, uh, yeah, if you're listening to this podcast for the without having read the book, you can go ahead and press pause and read the book. Or just the and first chapter. Play. Or just or just first chapter. Right. Chapter zero. Right. Alright. So like I said, the the chapter opens up with an explanation of the geopolitical situation on Earth in the twenty forties. Um, it's a time of war, famine, poverty, and the the climate is, is you know, is is on the decline. I think that's that's about as close as you're going to get to a political statement in the book, because um, he goes he goes into some some you know he goes into it with with a bit of a I won't I won't say agenda because I don't think there's much of an agenda to it, but it's a very pointed statement on climate change. <laughs> and, well, this was this was pre-Trump, right? Written pre-Trump. <laughs> let's let's. <laughs> Not you know, to bring part politics of the I into to this, start, but part of the reason I part of the reason I wanted to start this podcast is because my you know I I'm so sick of talking and hearing about politics at this point, <laughs> and I do I, I spend I, I spend a, a good portion of my time, you know, 
f- reading up and keep, you know keeping up to date on politics and my brain needs a break right now <laughs> because it is so vitriolic and just <laughs> divisive well, and and it, terrible this is the, right now. This is is the only speck of uh political detail in this first chapter which is the only reason i bring it up i don't know if it happens past this chapter uh but i i promise if it does i will not bring up any political issues if that helps none none in the real world anyways none in the real world anyways we're gonna try to steer we're gonna try to steer clear of that this is gonna be a this is gonna be a hate free zone (laughs) we're gonna call this a hate free zone okay (laughs) All right. Okay. So world's going to shit. <laughs> um like like we said, um the the inhabitants of Earth have found some some refuge in an in a simulated reality called the Oasis, which started off as a massively multiplayer online game. Uh kind of like World of Warcraft. For those of you who have played that game if you haven't played that game you've probably heard about world of warcraft or know what it is Mm -hmm. um basically the entire world's economy um and and and, you know every social interaction happens by by way of the oasis people go to school there people work there um their currency is exchanged through the oasis uh it's the future of oculus sort of (laughs) well that that remains to be seen. I don't think the technology is quite where it is in the book, but <laughs> well, you know, I, that's but, but, thir- but, thirty years in the future. I mean, exactly. For, if you think about like right now, you know, twenty seventeen, it's almost exactly thirty years in the future. So so yeah, I mean, you this the the future that's painted in this book is really not too far off from where we're at right now. Right. So, at any rate. Uh, we we hop we hop directly in page one into uh, the meat of the story, which is the creator of the Oasis is a guy named James Halliday has died. Now, normally this in the book would not have been a big deal because apparently you know the death of of extremely famous people is just just a blip on the screen. Um, if 2016 was any proof to you, that is not the case. I think I, I think I remember when David Bowie died. There was an entire afternoon of coverage on CNN about it. Oh, Bowie! It's worth it. Leonard it's Cohen, Leon Russell. Bummer. Those were all days that uh, bummer. It, it it took a while for me to get started on those days. Yeah, because it, it, it was Cohen got it, me. yeah. It was very much. It was very much like. Uh, you know, telling my family, hold on, we've got some news. We need to listen to Leonard Cohen for, for and your a, wife for and children little, just for could a not, while. could not care less. Well, they, yeah, I mean, my kids are too young to understand. I will teach them. By the way, they will know. <laughs> they, they will. They know. will know. They will embrace the things that I love. Yes, I. I will force the things that I love upon them, <laughs> but. Uh, I, at least for me, knowing that me and my family were taking part in some sort of acknowledgement of the significance of, of those people during those days, uh, I had to, I had, I, I had to make sure 
I paid tribute in some sort of way. So what'd you do? Did you, did you light a candle? No, I didn't. I didn't Play light a candle. Music, uh, like it. No, I didn't light a candle. I just listened to music. Yeah. I, yeah, just well, told, I told the died. kids. I just told the kids to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> this is a room that you cannot occupy right now because I'm listening to music and I need to focus. I need to be no, sad right they now. They had to be in that room and they had to sit their ass down on the couch <laughs> and listen because it was important whether or not they knew it that that at that time. It's important. I'll explain to them in the future. So less important to the world in the book is James Halliday's death, or normally it would have been. Uh, in this case, it's worth mentioning because everybody's kind of wondering where his money's going to go. Right now, James Halliday, or in the book right now, James Halliday uh, is one of the richest people in the world uh, with an estate valued over or around $240 billion dollars. That's a lot of money. It's billion with a B. That's that's that is a lot. Is a lot that is but a lot of money. Is that who's the richest person now? Bill Gates. Bill Gates, right? Yeah, and I want to say it's the, the. I checked. I think it was a Forbes article or Fortune magazine. It might have been Fortune. It was eighty-five point four million or something like. Or excuse me, eighty-five point four billion is what he was valued at as yeah. the richest person in the world. So in 30 so, years from right, now. Right. Will, will that be the same? Yeah. Who knows? It's still, it's still a lot of money. It is a lot of money. But, <laughs> but I mean, you think about, you think about how much, you know, the house that you grew up in, how much did your parents pay for that house? Right. You know what I mean? Right. You're, I mean, you, t- you take inflation into account, but. But yeah, it's but all, at this point, and, and, well, and I guess again, one, one thing, what one thing that I would question at this point is if he's only one of the richest people in the world with two hundred forty billion. That's a, that's a that's a tough number to say and not. Yeah. <laughs> and who's to say uh, that Ernest Klein was even thinking about it? That pointedly, I, I get the feeling with the level of detail that he puts in a lot of this book, um, that. That it was something that he, he, he gave a little bit of thought to. Because, I mean, you figure with with their economy massively on the decline, right? You, you would figure that the value of money was, was pretty low, you know? Through yeah. Hyperinflation, things like that. I don't know. Well, I'm the not separation between – but... oh, Well, the shrinking middle class and the separation between the – Upper class and I the lower class. The compl- I, 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 the comp- I get all of that into the equation, but still, like two hundred forty billion to be just one of the richest people in the world. Who else would be? Who would top that list? Well, you know, and, and the book does. It doesn't really get into the nuts and bolts of the, like you know the actual dollar amount figures of other people that you meet. But as as we progress through the story, you're you you're gonna find that there are a few people that would probably fit that bill. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So so but but that's later on in the book and like I said, we're not gonna spoil it. Right. You know? I I mean I don't I don't know not further that it's than particularly this chapter, spoiling, so but, I, but you I don't, don't even know 
Right. Yeah. I I'm I'm only thing I know is chapter zero. So it, uh, it's it's a, a lot of this is speculation. Yeah. And you don't even you don't even know who's going to be in the story yet. So anyways, we're mulling over this for too long. Let's just move on. So along with the announcement of of Halliday's death comes uh, a video. And the video is staged as his last will and testament to to be showed to everybody who's using the Oasis at this time. Um, And it comes, the video just pops up on their screen and starts playing. And (laughs) this is is something, when I first told you about this book, I knew exactly what your reaction was going to be to this. Which is, so is this just... Is this just going to be an entire book of pop culture references from the eighties? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, based, I mean, within the first two pages. Uh, I mean, the whole all of chapter zero is basically one continuous riff. Just reference, yeah, reference to do anything eighties. Do you remember that? I guess it was probably early two thousands when they started doing it. Early to mid two thousands when they were doing that. I love the eighties show on VH one. Right, that's exactly what I thought of in this first chapter, chapter. Zero. Chapter zero is is like three episodes of that crammed into a few pages. If you cut out most of the annoying people, yeah, that's yeah. that's I love the eighties commentary in the first <laughs> chapter. Yeah, it's 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 basically I love the eighties without Michael Ian Black. <laughs> <laughs> if if you can imagine that, <laughs> or uh, or Hal Sparks, Hal Sparks is the other one that was on that all the time. Was he in the? I, I kept I keep thinking yeah. of like Leif Erikson. Was he in I Love the Eighties? Leif Erikson, I think he was. Or wait, no, is he? He dead? was I Love the Seventies. No, he's not. I don't know. That was before my time. I don't or know. Which, the, before our time, I'll, I'll say. But uh, Danny Bonaducci, was he ever on that show? I think that was I Love the 70s. It didn't last very long. No. <laughs> it was on about 24 hours a day for, blame, for a year. I blame then, that show. I blame that show for what the internet has become today. I really do. Ooh, with that is with a, with all the clickbait articles yeah. and the top tens and that all that a, shit. That is a very good point. I blame that show for all of that, for good or ill. I mean, some people like that, but it really was. It was like if you could turn clickbait into a program, that was I Love the 80s. Yeah, remember when this funny shit happened? Let's talk about it. That's basically what the internet has become. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But anyways, back to the nostalgia bomb that is Chapter Zero of Ready Player One. It opens up with us in a... Uh, in a in in a high school gym, um, during a dance, and, and the dance is populated by cast members from various John Hughes movies. The Brat Pack? Not a he- well, yeah. Was I mean, it the Brat? Yeah, it was the Brat Pack. The Brat Pack was yeah, Molly Ringwald and Judd Nelson. Judd Nelson. Was was in the Brad Pack? Um, uh, oh, what Iron Man was in the <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. That is, a, you can't just call him Iron Man. No, he did I, a lot I, of great things. I, I 
I I agree with you. Did it you ever see? The, it was easier to say less? Iron Man than did you ever see, Robert Downey Jr. Did you ever see Less Than Zero? No. No, that movie is fantastic. Anthony Michael Hall, he's another one. Oh yeah, he was definitely another one. He's great. Uh, Emilio, Emilio yeah, Estevez. Was Emilio Estevez part of the Brat Pack? I mean, I Dude, he, he was, was in he was in Breakfast, he was in the Club, Breakfast Club, which was is it, it might be. I don't know if this would be this probably this probably not a shock to you, but might be the movie that I grew up with the most is the Breakfast Club. I it was watched one of mine it, too. Yeah, I watched it on repeat. And I was fucking ten or younger. <laughs> I had it on VHS. I did too. I had um I had Ferris Bueller's Day Off taped off of HBO. Yeah. And then it was followed up by Pretty in Pink. And I watched Ghostbusters. And I watched uh I watched Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters Two. Pretty much, pretty much on solid repeat. Oh yeah, and oh, yeah. and I would watch and I would watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off nonstop. And I, the thing was, like Pretty in Pink, I watched it. I, I know I watched it a lot, but I didn't watch it nearly as much as I watched. I Ferris didn't Bueller's watch. Day Off. I watched I would Pretty in Pink. Uh, I I watched. I I I saw it when I was younger. But <laughs> I'm really, aware of it. <laughs> really, it was The Breakfast Club, since you mentioned it, Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2, uh, Owen Willow. Those were pretty much on repeat when I was a when I was a kid in the eighties, early nineties. Those that was that was uh that was my childhood. I never saw Willow. Uh, and I and I don't know I, how. I don't know how. I don't know how. I, it, 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 it's one that I've been people have recommended it to me in the past, but for some reason I just have no interest in seeing. Uh, it. I know this isn't a stretch, but just just hear me out. It's Val Kilmer's best movie. Yeah, that's not a huge stretch. No, it's not, and I <laughs> that's why I prefaced it with it's not a stretch. But uh, oh, he's so good in it. That that can't He's be so his good. best movie though. It is, it is. What you, about Real Genius? No, he's. I, I Real Genius was good. Real Genius was fantastic. It was good. It was definitely that was good. his best movie. If you haven't seen Willow, I can see how you can say that, but you have to see Willow. He's it. Willow just overall is a great movie, but the fact that. He was an awful Batman. I know that. I don't... I try to forget that. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, I, you and I, everyone else, man. Uh, like the Joel Schumacher Batman movies were dog shit. So George Clooney, Val Kilmer, they weren't really Batman. Uh, Michael Keaton was an okay Batman. I actually take that back he was a pretty good batman and he was a decent bruce wayne christian bale was a terrible batman i was not and a, fan a of really christian good Bale's bruce batman. wayne 
What's that? I didn't even think he was that guy. I said I said Christian Bale was a bad Batman. Yeah, he was. He and was. I don't even think he Batman. was. Yeah. I don't even think he was particularly a uh, particularly a good bat. Um, Bruce Wayne. Well, here's here's why I think he was a he was a good Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne is this pompous billionaire, rich boy you know, spoiled brat of Gotham City. And I think... Well, that was the perception of him anyways. Right. And I think Christian Bale portrayed that fairly well. I'll give you that. Especially in comparison to his Batman, which was... I'll give you that. I, I I think he played up the dichotomy of it a lot better than most did. Where, like, you could actually see him, like, in in conflict as he was trying to be the Bruce Wayne, like right. the playboy. Right. And you could tell he was like kind of tortured over it. I thought that that was an interesting part of that character. And I think it was one, it was, it was a pretty subtle, subtle thing. I, I, yeah. For that reason, I guess he was a good, he was a decent Bruce Wayne. I, I mean, Kevin Conroy is not to be beaten. No, I, I, I don't think I mean, there's he, any doubt in that. I mean, Kevin Con- Kevin Conroy is Batman. <laughs> that's, yes, that's yes. all there is to it. But at any rate, so let's, <laughs> let's get, get back to let's Ready get back Player to Ready one. Player One. Um, so so at this dance, uh, the video the video opens at this dance with the Brat Pack dancing in the gym, um, <laughs> and Oingo Boingo, Dead Man's Party, haha. Is 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 what he, everybody's dancing to, and he it mentions in the book that he's cycling through a bunch of '80s dance moves. Hmm. I I don't, I don't know if that's I don't know any. I, aside I'm trying because they're they're making this. We'll talk about it more as we go, but they're making this book into a movie, <laughs> which it's I think it's going to be phenomenal. So, uh, dancing, everyone at the party's dancing. Uh, having a good time, living it up to Boingo party. Boingo's Dead Man Party. And, and John was the one that pointed uh, this out to me when we first started doing show notes for the podcast. I had no idea somehow that Danny Elfman was <laughs> was the lead singer of Oingo Boingo. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, Danny Elfman... Um, now does original scores for for movies and a lot of the original scores he's done have been for Tim Burton. Tim and Burton. And he's great at it. He did uh I think he did the Spider-Man series that uh Sam Raimi did. Sam Raimi did. I'm pretty sure he did those. Oh, uh, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, I I think that's I don't know Oingo Boingo. I know Danny Elfman <laughs> from doing the Simpsons theme for the TV show mm-hmm. and the Tim Burton movies the I basically yeah uh I'll, I know him more for film score or themes than uh right. than Oingo Boingo which blew my mind like I had no idea that he was the lead singer of Oingo Boingo I believe he also just, it blows sang as the voice of Jack in the Nightmare Before Christmas, another movie I have not seen all the way through. 
because I You've petered never... out. I what? No. And it, here's the here's the thing. I I really lost steam on Tim Burton at a certain point, and mm. I blame I blame Helena Bottom Carter for that because I just do not like her as an actress. Oh, she's okay. Like I'm sure she's a fine human she's being. Okay. But I just fine, but it's she's just always the same person. And I don't know. It's just like she just drives yeah, me up. A no, yeah, I see it. I honestly, I think the reason Tim Burton married her is because she looks like a female version of Johnny Depp, and he has, <laughs> he is obsessed with him. Well, so, that, I I'm sorry. When I was a kid, I had a mad crush on Winona Ryder. I yeah. I thought she was. Oh my god. I don't get it. To this day, to this day, I love Winona Ryder. She I, she could do no wrong. She's tried. She's, yeah, she's tried. She's tried. She's definitely okay. tried. Look, man, I could wax. I could. I, I like we we could go back and forth all day long. We could. Right? You're not gonna change my. You're not gonna change my mind on Winona Ryder. Okay, love her. I know you always love have her. loved her. Always will yeah, love her. I don't. I don't. I don't understand that. I mean, there's there's certain there's certain actresses. That I sort of have a you know anybody has a thing to, but I don't think Winona Ryder is most people. Let's just say you know actors, actresses. I mean, you, there are people that you grow an affinity for. I think when you're younger, and they could do no wrong. You know what I mean? They could do no wrong. Winona Ryder has done a lot of wrong. So, Dead Man's Party, Oingo Boingo, dancing at a gym. Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman. <laughs> Rocking the score. Uh, it's, like we said, they are making a movie out of this. One of the things we checked up on when we were doing our initial research for the show, Danny Elfman is not doing the score for for, for the Ready Player One Although movie. Although he should. I, I don't know what happens past this chapter. Right. But... If anybody should do the score for this chapter, <laughs> continue. I don't think they're going to segment the movie right. by chapters. No, I though. don't think there's going to be forty, you know, part forty of this movie. And technically, if they play Oingo Boingo, they are going to put Danny Elfman. In yeah, this he'll part be a of part movie. of the movie <laughs> if they put this part in there. He'll he'll be a part of. The who movie. knows? If, who knows if they will or, or won't? But, um, but. But to answer any questions that you guys might have listening out there, um, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure you you could probably guess who is going to be doing the soundtrack for this one or the original score for this one. Let's see, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Let's see, who Sorry. is he? <sighs> who could it be? Hmm, I don't know. It's John Williams. Yeah, it's John Williams. Let's face it. If you if you're listening to a podcast that heavily you know, that 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 discuss chapter by chapter Ready Player One, you, you knew the answer to that. <laughs> I mean, before they even announced that it was going to be a movie, you knew who was going to be doing the score for this thing. <laughs> it's John Williams, <laughs> of course it was. I will say this, and I didn't know this, but but Ernest Klein sold the rights for the movie to be made. Uh, to Warner Brothers before the book was even released. Hmm. 
Sounds like so before they had a chance to actually publish and release the book, the the film rights were already sold. It sounds like something Nicholas Sparks would do. Well, I'm sure it's something that he has done, but this was this was this was Ernest Klein's first book. But I'm sure you know. I mean, the the way that it works out, you know, he he did like slam poetry or something like that. Uh, But before he wrote his first book, okay. I swear that's true. And then you know, so he he already had a literary agent and everything like that. By so doing I'm sure, slam poetry, you know, he had an agent. No, I'm saying I'm saying he was connected with an agent before he wrote the book. Okay. I I I thought you were saying since he did slam poetry, he came. Yeah, so of course. Much. Yeah, of course. This slam poet has an agent, as all slam poets do. <laughs> no, but, but <laughs> if that's all it takes, this is the show, folks. <laughs> One way or another, this is the show. Uh, all right, so <laughs> uh, so we're talking about the scene, So we're talking about Dead Man's Party. The scene fades. Okay, the 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 dance hall scene fades, and, and, and next thing you know, we're we're in a funeral parlor. And it's actually a scene from the movie Heathers, another film starring the gorgeous, the wonderful Winona Ryder. Christian. And Christian Slater. Slater. Yeah. Who who are both notably in the background. He he makes he makes a note of that in the book to say that they they can be seen in the background. Um and it's it's Halliday when he's younger, he's in his forties, and it, it resembles when he was on the cover of Time magazine. Um, in 2014 in the book, um, which I don't know if that's around the time. We'll, we'll, we won't get into the, you know, when the Oasis started and everything like that. That that kind of comes up later in the book. Well, it seems like I'm sure that happened after the fact. Well, yeah. Or the present. Well, at this point, the well, present day in, in version it, of it happened in the after next that. in the next cup in the next couple of chapters. They will go into a history of of the company GSS Gregarious Simulation Systems, which which is the company that Halliday owns and and founds the Oasis or creates the Oasis. Um, so so their history is brought up and it gives a little more uh, don't tell a, a better muffs. idea of the timeline. Earmuffs, go ahead. I just said it gives a better idea. Yeah, to I just don't. I don't want to know until I read it. I'm not spoiling anything. Anyways, all right. So, <laughs> so it fades out. Uh, young Halliday is is or younger. He's about in his 40s in 2014, and he is uh, standing there looking at a um, looking at himself in a coffin. Casa Heather is there. Right. Halliday's looking at his dead self <laughs> laying in a coffin, and he's got two coins, two two quarters minted in 1984 laying over his eyes. Now, I gotta say, as as deeply disturbing as I find this part of the book, uh huh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> well, like, is there any? Uh, okay, you would know more than I would. I'm just bringing this up. Is there any significance to the year 1984? On minted on the 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 coins over his eyes. I get, 
I could speculate a little bit, but I'm not going to give that part away. Um, you know, it, you're the only one that could speculate at this point. Right. Yeah. I, well, I, I don't really want to. Okay. Because it, 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 it might. It could could I, mean, I, could I suggest the, or could I, could I speculate that maybe. Uh, you can speculate whatever you want. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's the, the time in which he thought of the idea of the Oasis. The origin of the Oasis idea, perhaps. Yeah, it is. It, it's it's an interesting point that he makes that they're minted in 1984, but we'll find out as we go. If that, like I said, I don't. If that holds any significance, right? Okay. No spoilers. No spoilers. Chapter by chapter. <laughs> chapter by chapter. <laughs> A long year. Chapter by ever loving chapter. All right, so in this part, he basically tells us that this this is going to be his last will and testament. You know, rolls a giant scroll out on the floor, um, and begins begins to read it. And then the rest of the video basically plays out like a summary uh, of his will. Um, and this part's kind of cool because. The fu- the funeral fades out, and Halliday is now a child. In the video, he he just basically shrinks down to the size of a child, um, and he's sitting in a living room, decked out in late seventies decor, and he's playing an Atari twenty six hundred. Um, this would have been. This would have put put it around the time that I was born. Um, I was probably just like a, uh, a slight bit late to the party when it came to the Atari. I had one. I had one as well. I had one. And, and I loved it, you know. But by the time I was old enough to... I'm, well, by the time I guess I was born... The NES had come out. Because the NES came out almost exactly two months after I was born. So. Yeah, uh, July of 83. uh, Which was exactly a year before I was born. But I still played Atari before owning a Nintendo. Yeah, because I think it was the console that everybody had laying around at the time, you know. Yeah. I mean, to 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 put it in, you know, to put it in perspective, I mean, like a lot of people have an Xbox One or a PlayStation Four now, but you know, a lot more people probably still have. Well, I wouldn't say more, but a lot of people still have their 360. You know, it's yeah. the more accessible I've console. Still, I've still got my 360. I never, I haven't played that in a few years, but uh, yeah. But it's a selective market at this time. I mean, like, like you got to think about it. This is the twenty six hundred was the you know, the first I guess big console to come out. I mean, yeah. you had the Commodore and the yeah. My dad. Well, I know my dad played Pac Man quite a bit, and I'm sure mm. Pac Man at you know before I was born. Uh, but Pac- I'm sure Pac Man was was a really popular game. 
Well, I know for sure it was in just about every bowling alley, and that's probably where he got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's where he won half of his money in the bowling alley was playing Pac-Man. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, so I'm, I, I would assume that that's why we had an Atari was for my Pac-Man. yeah for my dad to play Pac-Man, and then of course I inherited it at a young age, and then continued on to Nintendo when I was became old enough to appreciate video games. So it mentions at this point that he's that the year is 1980 and it, it also mentions that that Halliday at this in this video is 8 years old which would put him you know he he was born in 1972. That's the same year, and I, fi- I found this interesting, don't know why, but that's the same year that, uh, that Ernest Klein was born. Makes so, sense. So, clearly nostalgia is a very important thing to Ernest Klein. Right. We, you, you get that in chapter zero. We're not even to the first chapter, and you understand this is like... <laughs> you probably understand is, more about so, Ernest Klein than you do about the, the, the book and the first chapter. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you you know, as, as far as his proclivities and his his obsessions with the 1980s, I mean, it's clear that you know throughout this book. I mean, it was it's I think one of the critics' things in there says it's a love letter to the 1980s, and it really does feel like that. I mean, it's it's genuinely affected. But I think in the same way that you know when when you you watch Stranger Things. And you just had that awesome feeling because it felt like you were watching a VHS tape when you oh, were a kid. That, yeah, you know, I it's think just that's like... the reason I liked Stranger Things is because it was an homage to everything that was 1980s. So seeing the Thing poster or them talking about Star Wars, it's just like all those things are like that's that that was me as a kid. And just the, the soundtrack was phenomenal. Yeah, the the soundtrack was just so good, and it, but yeah, I mean, you know, Halliday is Ernest Klein for all intents and purposes. You know, he's the one that creates this world. Um, if you thought that, you know, just I mean, it's pretty obvious. But if you want confirmation, Halliday and Klein born in the same year. <laughs> That's that pretty much that pretty much locks it up for you. Um. <clears throat> So at this point, he's talking about uh, the game Adventure for Atari 2600, um, a fun game, a, a very confusing one if you're a child playing it because it all, like, a lot of it looks the same. I, I feel like that's the same thing for every uh, mo- Atari yeah, game. Yeah, most that came Atari out. games were were basically it, the same screen, but yeah, had you had to play it differently. I guess. Uh, yeah, I I played. Pitfall, Pong, and Pac-Man. I played Pitfall, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, basically, you, you have to jump over one or two, you know, ponds <laughs> that, that contained <laughs> alligators uh, and a swinging rope. Somehow there was a, a, a vine that was, that was continuously swinging. But that, I that, liked, was, the, uh, that was the entire game. <laughs> Mission Control, I played that a lot. Oh, is that the one where or, you've got like the not missile? 
scratch that. Missile Command? Missile Command, yeah. Yeah, is that the one where you've got, like, the six bases or whatever? And you try to, yeah. try to like, blow up all the missiles that are headed your way to prevent... Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I play that. It gets pretty It gets pretty intense toward the end. Oh, I mean, it gets... Uh, it gets pretty intense after like level two. <laughs> it's it's a yeah it's 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 a difficult game, but I, I remember I played that a lot when I was a kid. Um, Sometimes anyways, those simple games were uh, were I mean still pretty pretty interesting. Well, I mean think about how simple Tetris is, you know. And I would still it, play play Tetris now. It's the most addicting game in the world. Yeah, it, it was almost like you come up, you come up with a good idea, puzzle esque in a way, and then you just increase the speed of the game, so you decrease your. Uh, you got me. I'm hooked. Yeah, you, de- you awesome. decrease your uh, your response time, and that's the game. Well, and, you know, and there, there's something to be said, like. Like there are certain games. Like if I were to go, like if you were to go back now and play Pitfall, you know, I mean, it, you wouldn't, <sighs> you probably wouldn't have the same relation to it because you're you're used to better graphics and everything like that. But like a game like Space Invaders or a game like Tetris, it doesn't matter how sophisticated the graphics become, just because of the way that challenge is set up. Yeah, it still it still holds up. Yeah, you know what it I mean. Does. I, I, Tetris like is... if I were to dust off a Nintendo today, I could sit down for hours and play Tetris. But yeah. I, could, I mean, that doesn't really or, mean anything. I, I guess could sit if down you're for sitting hours down, and play even Mario. if you're sitting down, yeah, even if you're sitting down with a Nintendo, a Super Mario Brothers, I would still, I would still play continuously. You know, yeah, and I could still play Contra nonstop. Probably, I played uh, Ninja Gaiden. Did you ever play that? I did. I, I played it a couple times. I it was I, really the, the kid that lived hard. down the street from a, a kid that I grew up with down the street had it. Yeah. So video game, video games, Atari twenty six hundred. So where were we at? Adventure. Adventure. The Easter egg. Yeah. The Easter egg, of course. Um, so, in this part of the book, we're watching we're watching a young Halliday play through adventure, and he's giving us you know he's 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 still talking to the camera, uh, but as a child. And he's telling the story of the the first Easter egg in a video game, which is Warren Robinette's in the game Adventure. Um, And the way he felt when he first found that Easter egg. Now, clearly this is a guy that that still has that sense of adventure, because why why else would you create an entire universe for people? (laughs) Right. And base your entire will on this idea. On an, on, the, on this idea, right. So, <clears throat> this is the story of him finding the first Easter egg in a video game. It's also the inspiration for the way Halliday structures his will. Basically, he has no heirs. Um, as far as everybody knows, he's out of his he's out of his mind. He's been living as a recluse for like the past what like ten fifteen yeah. years in the book. Yeah, but he's got this vast fortune. He's got you know the first. He's got this this just massive estate, and absolutely no one to leave it to. 
here you are you've 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 created this this amazing thing you know that the entire world is engaging with and and you yourself are not you know like really having any sort of meaningful contact with anyone right yeah the almost the entire world uses this thing right. that you created and yet you don't have any relationship with anybody you're a very lonely be... person <clears throat> now i'm sure like but that's the thing i mean like you know people who are obsessive which clearly you would have to be to create something like this. And you find out, I don't want to spoil anything in the book. But, but people who have that, that obsessive mentality, I mean, I just can't imagine. You know what I mean? <coughs> Where their entire life's work is their yeah. obsession. I mean, it's just, I mean, maybe, maybe hell, maybe, maybe he didn't care. Maybe it didn't really bother him, you know? Well, at that point, do you feel a sense of accomplishment? Here's the thing. It's not like he created the oasis and then that was it. Like you in I don't want to I don't want to press too far into this topic because I don't want to spoil the next chapter for you, but you'll find out in the next chapter what I mean by that. Okay. And it's not like this static thing. The oasis grows. Well, okay. So I mean, he's still he's still actively working on it. And I think you get that you know, coming up at the next part when you're introduced to his his avatar in the Oasis, um, he's still very much a part of of the simulation. He's still in the Oasis so, as Anorak. No, not 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 after death, but I mean, like during that 15 years, he was still present in the Oasis. Oh, okay. So I suppose he could have socialized in that way. Yeah, I didn't. And, I didn't. You know, I, as far as Chapter Zero is concerned, it doesn't seem. As, as such, right. And I don't want to. Pre- I don't want to press into that. Like I said, too much because we got to save stuff for upcoming chapters. Yeah. But you know, I mean, there, there. It's sort of a. Eh, I could. I could see that. Like you know, maybe in in a world that includes or in a in a world where society interacts online in this way, I can see how you might be able to shake some loneliness. You know, and, and, and be by yourself for extended periods of time. Yeah, I get. I, yeah, I guess. But anyways, so back to it. Okay. Has no heirs. <laughs> yeah. No heirs, This no man friends. has no heirs. <laughs> and so so basically the way he's going to, he, he's going to, you know, award his fortune to somebody is they have to be the first one to find an Easter egg hidden within the oasis. How how they come to that Easter egg is is a little bit complicated, um, and it's essentially the rest of the book. <laughs> I mean that's 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 Ready Player One, folks. That's that's what this entire book is about. You'll find out over the the next thirty nine chapters how that shakes out. Um, and you're given you're given very little to go on, you know. I mean, John, this is the first time you've read the book. You have absolutely no idea what happens in chapter one. You've only read chapter zero so yeah. far. Do you have any inkling of, of where this first so, so this, copper so key this is, might be hidden? No, I, uh, uh, no, really. All I've all I've been able to speculate is that 
who whomever the narrator is, male or female, goes on to find the the uh, the fortune left behind by so you by uh, by Halliday. So, so that's my the, guess. Uh, I'm assuming it, yeah. that that's what happens. The clue that's given, I guess, verbally in the video is uh, it goes like this. Three hidden keys open three secret gates wherein the errant will be tested for worthy traits. And those with the skill to survive these straits will reach the end where the prize awaits. If somebody told me that $240 billion was hanging in the balance and that was the only clue that I had been given, Mm -hmm. I would become a very frustrated person. It means nothing. It, it, yeah, when I read it, it meant nothing. I maybe it means something later on, uh, but uh, it really just sounds like bullshit. Uh, well, I th- I feel like on... there's more to uh, Anorax Almanac than there is to that verse that you just read. Well, right. I don't in, know, in that's... but that's just my feeling. And that's something we get into going forward. So, so, so after we were given that clue, it's, I guess it's not even really a clue. It's just sort of, it's sort of a, a you know, a, a four line, of four lines that explain to you, ex, you know, the entire contest. It just bottles them up into one, yeah. you know, into four lines. It's a riddle. That's, that's what, yeah, that's what, well, that's what this contest is. Yeah. Um, basically, the first person to find those keys, enter those gates, grab the Easter egg, you're going to be $240 billion richer, plus you're going to have a controlling state in GSS, the company that owns and runs the Oasis. You know, with that comes all the things that, you know, all the trappings you might you might imagine. Um, and, you know, this guy's massive collection of, of old video games and all that kind of thing. Um are also mentioned in there but we do get some a little more uh in the way of clues uh from this point um gosh it's a you know the the hardest part about doing this podcast the way that we're doing it is that i want to point out stuff that he's saying like you know here's a few clues that he gives don't do it don't do it right here and then and then you be like you know we'll, we'll Thanks. But it's like, you know, on second read, it's like so obvious. But, you know, I mean, everything is in hindsight. Yeah, really. I I don't know. I don't know of what clues you're referring to. Uh, Anorex Almanac, which I had mentioned, post video uh, on his website, which contains, uh, you know, just references to... References to video games and sci-fi fiction, novels, movies, comics, eighties pop pop culture, and all all shit is just thinking about really. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> that's. Uh, I'm assuming that again that that comes into play, but really those are the, the post video. That's those the, those are the only things that are given to us. Uh, from 
Yeah. From what you from you him. get you get an idea you get an idea of what the the almanac contains. I mean, it's it's huge. It's thousands and thousands of pages yeah. long. Um, well, thousands and thousands of pages worth of documentation. You know, it's all digital. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's not like you know maybe they have a printed copy. I don't know, but but Anorex Almanac exists online. It's accessible by everybody. Um, and he does give a clue that that we can't. Well, we can kind of talk about this. Where before he gives out the almanac, he says that it's I forget exactly how he puts it, but it's hidden in a maze, locked up, and he points to his head. You know. Yeah. I mean, he gives that, and that's a big clue. But I mean, it's fairly obvious. I mean, you you don't release a th- you know thousands of pages of your inner musings. <laughs> Unless it's going to be relevant to this thing, because nobody's going to care. Yeah, what well, I mean, why else would that would that would would that pop up on the website right. after the fact? Yeah. yeah. So that that becomes the guidebook for a group. Uh, well, the Gunters um, for the Gunters, and Gunters is just basically a a uh, truncated version of <laughs> of Egg Hunters, which. Uh, shortly after this video, I mean, everybody in the world's an egg hunter. Um, they're they're all looking for this egg, and why wouldn't you? You know what I mean? Oh yeah, it's like it's like it's like if somebody told you, guess what? <laughs> like the lottery's not just by chance. Now there's a little bit of skill involved. It's like I'm gonna get pretty good at whatever that is. Right. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Like there, there's not a lot of well, skill involved. There's 240 billion dollars the out there for somebody that wants it. That right. That wants it. Uh, and this, go, and it's, go it's get excess, it. And it's yeah. And it's it's <laughs> anybody can have it. It's hidden. It's hidden in a platform. You know that you that use. everybody's using. Yeah. For all you know, it could be. Hanging out right out in the open because nobody knows what it looks like or what it is. Well, sometimes things. And, you know, what was what's the uh, what's the video game uh, that? Uh, what's the video game that you can finish in the very beginning, but nobody ever realized? Missed. It? Missed. Exactly. Missed. It's it's it, you know, with missed, the end of the game is you could you could beat missed within 10 seconds right right yeah we'll 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 talk i i want to talk more about missed on the next episode okay well i'm just saying i'm just saying right no 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 that i'm just trying to bring up the fact that obviously everybody becomes an egg hunter and you don't know how hard obviously it's explained that it's that even Halliday says, "You know, I feel like this. I may have, I may have yeah, I may have made this more difficult than even I could have. Might you know. have been kind of a dick right. about this, guys. <laughs> but for some people, it could be obvious or way too obvious, such as Mist, where in the very beginning you can." You can beat the game, uh, but you obviously know more, <laughs> or wanted to bring that up later. Sorry that I brought I did. Missed, I, well, sorry well, I brought missed up. I've started. I've started zero, it's but. funny. Well, no, it's it's funny because you know I've I've already started on my notes for 
for chapter one. Uh-huh. And and mist is something that it was one of the first things that I brought up. Really? <laughs> for that very reason. Interesting. Yes. I, I mean, not that's not giving anything away. Obviously, if you picked up on, you know, it, or made the mist correlation there, then, you know, uh, then then it's not something that would sneak up on you. Uh-huh. But I think it's probably something that a lot of people who read the book, uh, you know, if you played mist, you can you, you kind of thought about that. If if you haven't played Mist, then you are a video game fan. Seriously, <laughs> that game is so much fun. I, I I I killed so many hours playing that game when I was a kid. Just I loved it. I never played it, but oh, it's so cool. Yeah, it's it's such a cool game. Yeah, it's it's just it is a giant puzzle, and it's frustrating because it's just a puzzle upon puzzle upon puzzle, and you know I mean. And you feel like you're never making any progress. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, but it's it's fu- it's fun to sit there and try to figure them all out. Um, okay. Uh, so so, anyways, years go by uh, after this after this video is released, um, and nobody finds anything. Not not even so much as a clue. Right. And. To you know, to the point where most people think it's probably just a myth, um, and, and give up looking looking for it completely. There are you know groups of people that that continue to look for it. Um, people who devote their entire lives to looking for this egg are called gunters, um, and most people think that they're wasting their time, and rightfully so, because nobody has even come up with. With a hint of where this thing well, might be. Well, kind of like UFO hunters or Sasquatch hunters, right? I, I think there's or a little is, more I guess, the, I guess the only, the, only, the reason I, I make the correlation is, is more along the lines of uh, maybe the ridicule that they get searching for something that most people don't believe in. Yeah, I'm... I don't know, Searching though. for... That non-existent, basically. But but right. But, so so the point that I've been trying to make <laughs> is that there there wasn't a guy with two hundred forty billion dollars. <laughs> true. That said, hey, this thing is real. Go find it, and you get all my money. You know what I mean? There, there's there's a difference there. Yeah. I mean, like I like like you know like it Bigfoot exists. Is, right. Exact. Well. You you hope it you hope it exists. Well, you know I that two hundred forty billion dollars exists. You know that exists. You know, yeah. That, I mean, right. that's that's been confirmed in the book that that's right. not gone anywhere. You know, that's that's locked. That's so under lock there, and key until somebody motivation. finds. Exactly. So so we know the money's real. We know the oasis is real and still being run, right? And we know that you know, there's it's 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 under the care of. Of, of his legal team until, you know, the the point where somebody finds this Easter egg. So, so I think what, I think what most people, I think the way that they feel, like, there probably are a handful of people who think it's just an urban legend. You know what I mean? And then I think there's probably uh, a few people, uh, or a majority of people out there, that think that yeah it's real but nobody's ever going to find it. Yeah. I mean, 
you'll get an idea in the next episode of how big the Oasis actually is. And it is huge. Okay? So it is completely, it is completely reasonable to think that, yeah, it could be hidden in here and nobody will ever find it. Okay. But hidden forever it will not be because this chapter ends with our, our, our humble narrator letting us know that this here, this here be the story. <laughs> be the story. Of, of the person who finds the very first copper key. And so begins Ready Player One. You can get a hold of us on Twitter at, at GTTGPod or by email, if that's your thing, at GTTGP.pod at gmail.com. You can also keep up with us on our blog and our website. We'll be posting podcasts there as well. That's GTTGP.com. Jaws was a social phenomenon, though. I mean, Jaws was a bit of a phenomenon. Yeah, Jaws is the reason I will never step foot in the ocean. Let me ask you, really? You've never stepped foot in the ocean? We'll, we'll never step foot in the ocean. That's that's bizarre, John. That's really weird. Did you grow up watching Jaws? I did. I loved Jaws when I was a kid. I read the book when I was a kid. Yeah. Well, did I didn't you read, read the book, John? I didn't read the book. <laughs> Maybe maybe that'll be the next book we do. <laughs> yeah, probably not, because I know what happens. The shark yeah. dies, and then he comes back the in Jaws 2. <laughs> so do a lot of people. <laughs>